If you just said this, right? I have to check out Ireland then. Another hundred year candidate. I'd, I, I, <laughs> what, you I'm said saying, what I'm saying is, I'd have to take out. Okay, I'll take out Conor Whelan then. Conor Whelan I, have to be. That's it. I quit. Subscribe to the GA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. Jack McNamara of Sports Asset Management is with us to talk to us about the third test. It's good to be having these conversations after a victory and history as opposed to uh, pummeling. Yeah, because that's what we thought at the start, right? We were a bit uh, a bit concerned about how it was going to go, but here we are. Owen was always glass half full, in fairness to him. He is, he is a, a C I when th- it comes to this. Yeah, I can predict the future. Yeah, I think we were in this kind of same boat, oh, I think, the two of us. Yeah. yeah. We've just been brought down by a man. Absolutely, you know? the misery. <laughs> Maybe you'll be right in the end. Maybe you'll be kind of like no, drinking Irish just, tears just, next November. Is that your plan? No, November doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. yeah, we can play a B team in the three games in November. Sorry, I meant November twenty twenty three. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the bo- bear is officially poked. Anyway, <laughs> or broken, <laughs> or broken. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's we're going to look into that in a little bit more detail now. Um, but I was thinking we might look into a couple of different areas: refereeing, yeah, first, yeah, uh, if that's okay. And then we might look into New Zealand, and then we might get onto our favourite discussion, which is Jonathan Sexton. Yeah, okay, that's all right. <laughs> so the refereeing uh, overall, the, the minutes on the pitch figure is really interesting because, like, it's a like, oh, it's a an eighty-five, eighty-seven. It's a hundred and one minute game. It turns out. Yeah, so th- this is something that I, I started looking at in the uh, Lions tour, actually, which was just, you know, frustrating looking at um, how long the players are on the pitch for. It's the kind of one thing that the, the referees have the biggest impact on, and it's something that's not really been looked at. Um, and what that is, is we take the, when the players go onto the pitch and the first ball is kicked off, and we then we stop the clock once it goes to half time, and then we take from the second half is kicked off to the end, and we basically say, okay, how long was that? And the reason why that's important is because anything longer than, say, 100 minutes, <clears throat> an extra 20 minutes that those players are on the pitch, not necessarily that important for, for strength and conditioning and the way in which players play, but it's more, while that time could be spent for advertising or it could be used for analysts talking about the game at half time, that's where that time has been taken away. So that's that's money, that's income, that's revenue for, for rugby, which is being kind of ignored or at least... Um, being let go by referees taking their time in the game. But in this game last weekend against Ireland New Zealand, the third test, it was, you know, you got you got to hold your hand up and say, well done to the lads that were uh, refereeing. Um, you know, they, they caught the, the, the uh, Sam Kane tackle off the ball early on. They got the Rico Riani offside at 25 minutes. Um, and they got a number of, like, you know, very accurate, uh, decisions that were actually infringements in the game but they, they let the game play for a little while while the re- video referee went back and actually checked whether, whether or not they were infringements or not and it's like, it's very 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 hard to do but you know the, the first test the, the first game was 101 minutes the, the team were on the, or the players were on the pitch the second game was 109 minutes and then the third game was 99 very huge differences like 10 minutes in one game it's like 10% yeah. extra time yeah, already like over a game that's supposed to be 80 minutes. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to be here for 20 minutes. It's half the time that would be taken away from Keith Wood or Brian O'Driscoll or whoever it is that's going to be on. And that's, that's, that's valuable to them. It's valuable to the to sport. I would know? also say that some teams will want games to be 109 minutes like South Africa in the second test last year. Oh, no, it's, it's, this is a different stat. So the, the, this, what we're looking at, we, we split the game into, there's obviously three or four different ways of looking at it. The first one, this one is just minutes on pitch. Yeah, but I think some teams want that. I think I think South Africa mm. want a scrappy, long, boring game to like drag you into the deep yeah. water and then when you're not paying attention, poke you in the eye. Yeah, no, they, but 
watch what I say here. Um, no, Stafford are a great team. <laughs> <laughs> they, they wouldn't have anything bad to say about Stafford at all. Um, no, look, they, they, there's, there's a specific, a significant difference. This is basically identifying time where the referee calls stop to the play, and those stoppages are due to substitutions, due to injuries, or due to TMOs. So this this indicates or a scrum collapsing and the referee losing control of that. No, because the, the 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 usually when a scrum collapses, the referee will continue the, the time playing. So there's there's this time which is the minutes that they're on pitch, then there's the actual minutes of the game which is eighty minutes, and then there's minutes where the actual ball doesn't play, which is I think I don't know I'm here. I think it's around thirty to thirty five for each of these games. Okay. So there's a, there's a specific difference between those, and we we calculate all three of them. So this this is just a representation of what the referee are doing and their their impact on the game. And stylistically, what they're what they like to do is to let the uh, decision be made upstairs and call them backward yeah, as opposed yeah, to yeah. trying to and it's a re- recurring and the other thing that we would identify is the number of um, completed scrums as well and how long those scrums take to actually complete because that's obviously where a lot of the problems are and I always get really really frustrated when I see the first, first scrum of the game and there's the referee's blowing a free kick or a penalty without having a word with the, the, the you know the front rows Yeah. so it's it's just it's what we're trying to do is we're trying to identify where those errors are between the referees and, and how we might be able to help World Rugby in, in, in identifying those. There does seem to have been a fairly crucial uh, red card missed. Andrew Porter has been cited. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but like he's going to be banned because it was a red card offence. Like, sure. No, <laughs> he doesn't, but I think it might have had a material impact on the outcome of the game. Yeah, yeah, but if you actually watch it and you slow it down, the rules of the law. And I'm not, I'm not a referee, but the the rules of the law uh, say if he's stationary or moving backwards when the impact happens. Is my take on it is that that's a mitigating instance. He's not actually moving forward into the tackle to try and the word absorbing was used. Yeah, yeah. So he, the 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 ball carrier is happening in milliseconds. The ball carrier is running towards him. He's just staying in his ground. It, it's basically a simple way of saying that that player ran into him rather than yeah. the defender running into the, the player's face. Yeah. Now, neither are good. And they're trying to stamp it out, but, you know, I think... So you think there's a chance he gets off? Um, no, anytime it goes to a siding committee, you're usually going to get some sort of ban. They won't bring all those people together just for the sake of it. Yeah. In that instance, it should have been a red card. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I'm not going to complain. No, I'm, I, well, I just think yeah. that, like, if it had happened to us, we would be complaining. Yeah, but, like, it's... Um, yeah, look, it, it's it's a very small part of the game. In reality, these things happen all the time. The, if you look at all the, the instances in the game that were considered somewhat dirty or or off the off the cuff, it, like this is one out of maybe in the whole series. There's probably fifteen or twenty of these that happen overall in the game, where there's somebody standing at the rook and somebody comes in, and they drop yeah. their shoulder. These yeah. things happen all the time. Yeah, okay, okay. So it's not. It's, I, I wouldn't consider it that we, big. We had a few of those as well, but um, <laughs> moving yeah. swiftly on. Yeah. So um, New Zealand, obviously, and their struggles. The, what kind yeah. of a, a performance level improvement did you see from week two to week three? Yeah. So this is we, we actually have a bit of a, a stat here just around um, the, the quality of the two performances between week one and week two and. Um, we we might that slide. Up slide. There, yeah. um, so basically, what we see here is is that they're they're rooking as remain stationary. So just explain the yeah. slide to us for anybody who's looking at it here. So you've got week two and week three mapped out. Yeah, week two and week three. So we've got the quality of the two teams and the, based on skill sets. So rooking, carrying, tackling, passing. You know the the important things. And this is just the New Zealand map, right? This is just the New Zealand between week two and week three. So the 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 uh, dotted line or the the double lines is week two, and the this the solid line is week three. And you can see that there is a, a marked improvement in their carrying, but you know they're rooking and they're 
um, tackling has remained the same, which, you know, it takes up probably 40% of what they do. And their kicking was kind of slightly work, or slightly better. Their line-out um, got a lot, lot worse and their passing got a lot, lot worse in between weeks two and week three. And that, that kind of fits into kind of like the overall prognosis of what happened in, with New Zealand. And if we were just to look at it from, say, the first 25 minutes of the game and the mistakes. You hear the, the New Zealanders leading up to their game, they were talking about unforced errors, but like, when you're talking about unforced errors, we look at everything. We look at unforced errors. We just talk about, call them errors because we look at, you know, whether it's an error at the breakdown or not. But if we were just to take the first 25 minutes, you got seven minutes, there's an up and runner that went too long. Then there's a turnover from the line out, that preceding line out. Then there's a missed penalty that happens at 10 minutes, a knock on from a pick and go. That's 13 minutes. 16 minutes uh, missed pass that was you know a really good uh, setup um, then at 30, uh, 24 minutes uh, Rico Liani um, butchers a 4 on 3 he then gets turned over by uh, Josh van der Fleer and then um, gives a penalty away for being offside which is one of the penalties that the, the referees found all of this, including what we have on screen, and you know, if we look at the poor breakdown, there's also the tackling without the ball, which is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Which is, you know, tack- New Zealanders tackling the ball without the ball, which means that there's gaps for the switch play or for um, so this, along with the repetitiveness of say like their kickoffs, for instance. You know, they they kept they kept on going to I think it was. Um, um, Bundyaki they yeah, kept, kept on catching it yeah. and it was just like they kept on doing the same thing over and over again there was no there was no change in their method there was nobody there telling them okay this isn't working on us let's go to something else um, and then also something that was very apparent in this um, game was um, Smith is it, or the scrum half um, skipping skipping the pods of three so there's three pods of three guys that are standing maybe five or six metres away and what he'll do is he'll usually hit the middle guy because the middle guy then will crash it up and you, or you can bring it out the back or you can pop it onto either one guy left or right of him um, so there's four or five options for that player that, that, that in the middle but what um, Aaron Smith kept on doing was just skipping the, the, the pod altogether and hitting the last guy and it was just like he, he looks like he's doing that because it looks good and then there are ten as well uh, Barrett you know Banana kicking the ball into touch when there was absolutely, you know, that's, that's a kick where if you're really close to the touchline, you'll try and put a bit of spin on it so that, that'll go out, you know, further. All of these things are, you know, they're, they're not necessary. Some of these are, are obviously necessary, but some of them aren't necessary to do. And it just, that Lian, uh, Rico Liani um, errors basically forces the other players to try and do more in the game, which then, you know, oh, I won't pass him because he's made so many mistakes. And that, like you see this in schools, rugby, you see it in professional, international, you see it all the way up. That along with, um, you know, their, their kicking as well was poor, but um, it lowers confidence. And then what happens is that then breeds predictability. And that's the worst thing that you can have in rugby is being predictable because teams will figure you out very, very quickly. And this, all of this together just has more of a problem about what's, what's happening in New Zealand rugby. I think we've talked about it before, but, you know, if you look at what's happened they've, from the club perspective is that they've lost their biggest opposition. You know, why, why, why are France doing so well? You know, why are France doing so well? 
Well, France invested loads of money and time in young players like 10 years ago when yeah. they won the rights to host the World Cup and they've got somebody in charge and they, you know, they've, got, they've, they've got a uh, rugby plan that puts the international team at the very top of that and yeah. that also allows the clubs to do whatever they want and it's hugely competitive at club level. But it's more so that they have two fully-fledged professional Cl- or competitions that are playing week in week out and that are building the, the performance of all players strength um, and depth yeah yeah like players coaches individuals involved in, the, in in rugby are living breathing in a professional era and it's it, it evolving the sport and evolving anybody that's in it so they've got French teams to play against they've got teams against Europe and now they've got teams against South Africa so all of that collective is going to get, imbe- get is invested in and it's going to get better New Zealand are out in the middle of their on their own now. They don't have anything like that. The Australians are are are, are press refresh for the third time now. The so I don't know. I, I think it's it's a, it's a pretty serious problem for New Zealand, especially with that CDC money that's come in. Right. So you expect money. You think this could be the start of a dark age for New Zealand rugby? No, like they've still got amazing players, but like I, me myself, I, I would look at a lot of content around coaching and how players are. are taught and how you know different aspects of coaching and training like all of that used to come from New Zealand you know what I mean all of that used to come from Graham Henry's time you know just even going to contact and and the New Zealand Sport Institute was like a legendary kind of uh, this is an example of how all sport all around the world should be done and maybe the rest of the world has caught up with that I think so I think I think it's I just don't see that content coming out in New Zealand anymore. You know, I don't see the the what's happening at the breakdown. You know, they're, like what they're happening in the breakdown. They were absolutely miserable at the weekend of the breakdown. Here's the thing, right? Mm. Uh, a combination of Joe Schmidt and Scott Robertson could fix that really quickly. Like what we're talking about <clears> there is not players who have bad skills. It's players who have been badly coached. Gordon Darcy said on on Friday mm. that he thought the team was really badly coached, and I think mm. everybody has come to that conclusion, including the people who run New Zealand rugby and all of the New Zealand media. So. That bit is fixable. The bit about them not having South African opposition, that's a much longer global problem that um, yeah, somehow they're going to have to I, fix. I would see that as a bigger issue than anything else. I would see the fact that they're only playing against themselves to a certain extent. They're only playing 15, 16, or 18 games, I think it was this year that they played in the, in the Super Rugby competition. So, so they're only playing half the year. So they need to be able to be... Anyway, sure, we'll see what happens, but it's it's definitely a, a, an error or an issue or something to be. You, th- you think it's wider than Foster? Oh, big time! Yeah, 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 yeah. much much bigger than that. Mm. Yeah. However, in the short term, there are fixes, right? The stuff that you're talking about yeah. there, like um, make sure the pods get hit up, mm. make sure the breakdown is good. That vastly improves the performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm like that. And the, so there's a couple of different ways of playing. There's there's um, I think we've spoken about this before, but it's you've got your um, game plan to try and imp- get the best players that you have into the in- getting them into positions where they can get the ball to make it biggest impact, or you've got very process driven coaches that basically follow patterns and follow we we need to be here, we need to go this, we need to do that, and then you've got a hybrid where you've sometimes you've got really really good coaching, you've got really really good players, and you can uh, you can try and merge the two of them together I think that if Joe Schmidt had a bunch of players like Will Jordan in his team and yeah. Artie Sevilla he would yeah. give them more freedom than he gave to the Irish players so I, I would be very worried for the rest of the world <laughs> if Joe Schmidt was to bring his process yeah. and his, his fascination with the breakdown in the set piece yeah. and then have those players implement those plans because 
Yeah. But it could be late for too late for those guys because and once once you're five or six minutes into a game, the, a lot of these guys they're in their early tw- late twenties, early thirties. They're they've they've all oh, this is all they've known. But have we not got? Have we not? Are we not the op, the actual uh, the proof that? I, it's possible to yeah. evolve and, and change because what our players knew for such a long period of time was that Joe Schmidt yeah. you do what you're told you be where you're supposed to be yeah. otherwise yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you can feck off don't drop your key card uh, whereas with Andy yeah. Farrell it's like no no we're going to have a good time <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. yeah. going to have a party yeah, um, we're going to get loaded yeah 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 so I, like I think it's possible to change oh de- most definitely I, and like you will definitely see a, a bump in performance by the team once the the, yeah. the new coaching setup comes in but whether or not they can have a impact, look, it depends on what they're going to try and do. Are they going to try and do short, medium, or long term? Yeah, well, and you know, the World Cup ride is going to be a huge target for them. Yeah, yeah, like, of course. Yeah. So, like, just makes perfect sense, doesn't it, that the coaching change is probably going to happen? But it's not going to happen. Then uh, it probably yeah. will happen. Oh, most definitely will. Yeah, there's no, you can't, you can't survive. I don't think. I don't think so. And um, like from what you've seen of Schmidt and of Robertson which would be a better fit given their current malaise I, I wouldn't put Schmidt in there like if it was my decision I wouldn't make Schmidt so I think the rules are there's rules in place in New Zealand around whether or not you can you have to spend at least one year in a New Zealand team coaching before you can become uh, registered to be the head coach so I, I think in reality they'll probably just put Robertson in because he's already um He's already been paid by the New Zealand Rugby Union, so he'll be able to put his wherever he wants in. And maybe they they force him to put Schmidt in because they obviously rate Schmidt. Like, um, I don't know. I, can you have two two head honchos in there? Well, I don't know. Schmidt might decide that he doesn't want to do all the crap that comes with being yeah, the head coach yeah, and, yeah. and like have a Stuart Lancaster style period where you get a lot of the mm. credits, but most of the crap is handled by Scott Robertson. And then if if it goes tits up, it's like, well, nothing to do with me. I don't know. I don't know. I think having two types of like both of those guys are coaches, right? Like they try putting Joe Schmidt into the world rugby place, and he, you know, too many suits is what I heard. Right. So I, I can't imagine Joe Schmidt sitting around waiting to see what uh, well, maybe, I don't know. is going to try and do. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe then it's just Scott Robertson, and that makes yeah. the most sense because it's it's you could his see, turn. You could see uh, Joe Schmidt going into Crusaders. You know? and, and that would also make sense. Okay, yeah. let's. The, the last thing we're going to yeah. talk about is Sexton. Yeah. So this is just. Um, I know we've been talking a lot about who is the sort of player that uh, Johnny is and what what makes him so good. And this is just. We took um, five games. His last five games. We didn't take the, the first test uh, from the New Zealand game, but we took the three games in the Heineken Cup, and we took the the, the last two games. And we kind of categorise what he does. And you can see that, you know, 35% of what he does is carrying. So it's him taking the ball onto the line. Then 24% of what he does is passing, kicking 20% and 14% uh, uh, 14% is tackling. So this is kind of like what what we're looking at as a blueprint of what it is, type of player that we want to, you know, that we we have. Um, And so it's like when you're looking for replacements, they need to... Yeah, so there's like another nine percent of other things that he does, like turnovers and things like that. But this is this is just carrying. This this is just showing you kind of like what type of player he is. But then when we put it against the the grades against all the other players in the league, and we we put up the next slide, then we can show where where Jonathan Sexton lies um, compared to the other the other um, players. So 
we don't have we, <clears throat> we when we grade everything you know we need to have a certain number of activities to be able to clearly identify what type of player they are so we have lots and lots of players that carry the ball so when we when we average out Jonathan Sexton's he comes 68 out of 150 of the players when it comes to carrying now this doesn't take into consideration how far how, how deep he is how far away from the 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 defense he is when he lets go of the ball but in reality, the two things that we want to look at, I mean, you'd, you'd probably guess this, is that, you know, he's number one of passing and he's number three of kicking. So he's really, really high in passing and really, really th- good at kicking. And then he's kind of middle middle of the park for tackling. But this is this is how we, you know, if we want to figure out whether or not Crawley's the next guy up or we want to identify if Joey Carberry, this is what we need to do is, like, identify, you know, where our other players land compared to... Johnny and figure out whether or not we can improve those players over the short, medium, long term. Frawley's never going to play if if he goes back to Leinster unless something, unless there is a change in policy. Because Ross Byrne is mm. the incumbent second string number ten, and um, I don't know, uh, was it Roy O'Connor was saying Ulster get get him to Ulster for the season? I'm like, you know. Yeah. It's World Cup crisis mode now, or it's like <laughs> already, Jerry. You're oh. trying to bring us down again. I'm not. I'm not. It's like we we we. So 14 months. So look yeah, look months. look at the first test. Yeah. When Sexton goes off, the game disintegrates. Yeah. No, I, I understand that, and but like we got to remember that, that that those players hadn't played together in an awful long time, so it could have been quite a significant part of rustiness. The if if we were to change that up and look at the second test and we had the first full game of Sexton in there, I think you wouldn't see as big of an impact on the game as Sexton would have had. If somebody else had... Yeah, I think I think I, there was a bigger breakdown in different things. There was a lot of fluky tries. There was, you know, I think if, if we were to scale it back and, and look at it from a, an analytical perspective, there there is a chance that he we can kind of have him have less and less of an impact on the game and you know because there's 15 lads on the pitch you know what I mean and there's injuries and there's you know refereeing decisions and there's 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 lots of different things that happen but if if we hold our shape and we continue to plateau like I don't think there's any point in Ireland trying to really trying to improve any more significantly I think they can add different things to their game and different ways of playing to their game but I think they're at number one now in the world. I think it's now part, now it's a point of levering off our performance and, and staying at that level over the next eighteen months, rather than trying to change anything now, like Harrington Wood with a swing or whatever. You know why would you do that? And then, like that that that's what we, we're looking at. We've now we, we've shown progress. We've shown improvement. We've shown that we've we, we can play very well, expansive, you know, enjoyable rugby. We don't. We don't need to do much more over the next couple of months. Who, who is the out half that most closely resembles that breakdown in actions by Sexton? Um, uh, Ross Byrne. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah and yeah. that's probably is that have to do with just his Leinster education and being the understudy to Sexton? Yeah. 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 Exactly. But like, you would see um, Daniel Barrett now, for instance, he would carry a lot more. So he rather than passing. So there, there it's it. The 10 over five games is a very big data set. You know what I mean? This is, we can we can say with pretty accuracy, this is the type of player and this is how good he is. But if we were to do the same for Barrett, we would see that he carries a lot more and he, he doesn't pass as much. And so that's, 
you know, what we're trying to do here is, is identify the style of play that you're playing and then identify whether or not there's a player in, you know, New Zealand or Australia or South Africa that would fit into this mould rather than, you know, it's it's not necessarily just about the player, it's about the, the position. And who's closer to Sexton stylistically, Carberry or Frawley? I, I, I would guess Frawley. I don't have the don't data. Do I don't, like, it feels to the eye like Frawley is. I, I don't know why I think that. I mean, it feels like Carberry's more of a, a carrying out half. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Um, he used to be, he would have been considered uh, carrying it half when he came out of uh, amateur in, from Clontarf, but I, I don't know. Like, it's, I, I, we don't, I, I, we've only started capturing data in the last two sure. and a half months, so we're only starting, like, really. Yeah. So I don't have, this is, this is just over, there's a lot of top 14 rugby in this, there's a lot of uh, European rugby, but there's, there's not a huge amount of international or URC data in here. Um, Artie Savea's performance looked amazing. Was it as amazing? No, really? No, no, no. <laughs> like the certain players do certain things, and those certain things have like our brains are based on recency bias. You know, we when we see something, we go, oh, "It's bright and shiny, it's deadly." Because look at that, and then that's that's what Artie CV is. He he's a brilliant player. Like, don't get me wrong, but he he does the things like carrying the ball. That's really important. But he he misses quite a lot of tackles. And he also is really poor at the breakdown. So, you know, he gives away quite a lot of penalties as well. So when you see the game and you see somebody doing something really good, you go, oh, that's really, he's a really good player. And he's then got it like stays the nicest sidestep in world rugby. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's really sexy. But that's not, that, that, that 40 meter carry that he made, it, it, you got to take into consideration the three missed tackles that he made that were, you know, 45 meters lost. That that minus five meters has a negative impact on your team overall. So you got to take that into consideration, as well as everything else. So it's, I, I'm not saying that's exactly what happened, but uh, like no, none of the New Zealand players played well. And when it comes to the Irish players that we were glorifying, like mm. do they all stand up? Like Tyg Byrne, for example. Yeah, Tyg Byrne has had handling issues in the past that that um, he knocks the ball on, but then he goes and does an intercept on Saturday. It's, amazing <laughs> so but he, he would be a player that that um if i was to sit him down and have a chat with him is is is, is tackling because he's always he's always always thinking about the poaching or, or counter rooking so you'll see him he'll he'll if he's a tackle assist that's basically got the tackler which is the first guy and then you got a tackle assist he, if he's a tie over the tackle assist he won't try and stop the player he'll just get get in the way and then try and counter rook but that results in a negative play for you and it's if it's if it's a negative play then the, the guys who are rooking tend to be going forward but if you hit those guys behind the game line and you push them back those those in, the guys in the pod run past the, the, the actual uh, ball carrier and as a result they, it's easier for you to poach so um, it's just it's just one of those things that we've looked at in the past which is you know who would be the best defender and who would be considered not the best defender in the Six Nations, for instance. And Tyke Byrne, although he's a really, really good poacher and he's really good, um, he turns the ball over a lot. A lot of times he does make a negative tackle, which, which results in a, in a loss in play. So you got it is, it's only when you kind of take everything into consideration are you able to identify what type of player there. And you ask what the trade-off there is, like what's the, as a coach, do I want some of this in the, in the game or do I want all of this? And yeah. yeah, but you need poachers, you need, you need, you need guys that, that, that if that's the game plan that you're looking to implement. And you know, that was what, one of the issues that's with, with uh, Leinster in the final. You know, they didn't have those poachers in the game to, to, to put to La Rochelle, back. Yeah, to put yeah. La Rochelle under pressure, you know. All right. 
Alright, Derek, good stuff. Thanks yeah. a million. Cheers, lads. Um, that's uh, Derek McNamara been with us over the course of the uh, last three tests and uh, hopefully we'll be back again from Sports Asset Management. Um, if anybody wants to read your stuff or get more of it. Yeah, right. I suppose the, the best way to get in contact with me is by LinkedIn because um, we're just getting started and anybody who's actually interested in this stuff, if you want to get in contact, we're looking for people to, to help out and uh, especially analysts or people that want to get involved who've never worked in sports before but have always wanted to give it a go. Get in contact. Well, best of luck.